0: Thank you, Jim. Thank you, Gustavo. Our scripture reading for today is the exact same scripture reading that it was last week. So guess what? I'm going to preach the exact same sermon that Pastor Wilson preached last week. He'll never know. He's not here, right? Just joking. The, the scripture reading will be the same, but the sermon will hopefully be a little bit different. But it comes from the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 13, verse 7. Listen now for the word of God. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. The Word of God for the people of God. But perhaps God is strong enough to exalt in monotony a tedious repetition. It is possible that God says every morning, Do it again to the sun. And every evening, do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes each and every daisy separately, but has never got tired of making them. It may be that God has the eternal appetite of infancy, for we have sinned. And we have grown old, and our Father in heaven is younger than we. Now, these words were written by a man named G.K. Chesterton. I wish I had written them. But they've always moved me. And it wasn't until I was wrestling with this week's scripture and last week's scripture that I realized why. Do it again. Do it again. I'm reminded of these words each time that I play with my children. At my parents' house, there is a swing set. And each time that they are with me and we are at my parents', they beg me to go and push them on the swings. But it's a particular game that they like to play with me. So we go outside and I'll push them. They're old enough now, I don't really need to push them anymore. But as they get going higher and higher, I will position myself directly in front of them, and I wait till their eyes lock with mine, until the little smirks turn into big smiles, and then I know it's time. So I begin the countdown. Three, two, one. And on one, they let go of the swing, they fly through the air, and I'm supposed to catch them right here. Now wait, the game isn't over just yet. Because at that point they expect me to hoist them high up in the air, and then they expect me to run around the yard like a crazy person while they laugh hysterically as I'm holding them and I'm trying not, I'm trying desperately not to fall. But eventually I make the last round around the tree and I end up back in front of the swing set, and I hold them here, and I give them a hug, and I give them a kiss, and then I put them down, and then I double over in exhaustion. And for a moment, there's peace, there's silence. And then I hear it, Daddy, do it again. Do it again. As Pastor Wilson alluded to last week, and a man called Jesus explicitly stated about 2,000 years ago, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these It is with a a childlike spirit that the tensions of this life are alleviated. It's with a childlike exuberance that we experience life, and that we experience life fully. See, for children, the hope they have for new possibilities, even amid the same old things, is their insistence on doing the thing over and over and over again, regardless of the outcome Failure doesn't seem to constrain children. If a child cries after falling, it's not because they are profoundly pondering the existential embarrassment of not being able to stand on two feet even after centuries of evolution. It's usually simply because falling sometimes hurts. Children don't seem to be uh, immobilized by shame. Suppose a child is upset because they accidentally pee their pants. In this case, it's not because they're contemplating the profound effects of cancel culture, and they fear that somebody, namely their parents, might one day present photographic evidence of them not able to let someone know they had to go to the potty. No. Children are typically uh, embarrassed or upset because peeing your pants is uncomfortable. And it kind of cuts into playtime. Children are not naturally envious. Suppose they are sad at another child for having a toy that they don't have. In this case, they seldom stew in anger because they are contemplating the real-world effects of macroeconomics and thus are plotting their course to acquire every new toy so that they can stuff in their room. Usually, children are just upset because they wanted the opportunity to play with the other child. Children seem to have within them innately, a reflexive hope. They hope for others what they hope for themselves, and they hope for themselves what they hope for others. And usually, they always hope good things. Now, according to the Danish philosopher Kierkegaard, this is easier for children, because he says that their whole life is marked by possibility. Their whole life is in front of them still. They have much to expect, much to look forward to. But naturally, as we all know, age, um, youth, doesn't last. So that that youthful spring of possibility is replaced by the somber reality of aging, which is typically marked by aching bones and and worn-out tendons and jaded attitudes, When we were young, everything was new. Everything was deserving of awe. Everything was profound. But age doesn't necessarily spoil possibility. It just directs it in another way. So instead of the youthful exuberance for eternity, the possibility of future good, not just for ourselves, but for others as well, Possibility begins to be shaped by fear. It is possible that my best friend will betray me. I've seen it over and over again on all the reality shows that I watch. People just cannot be trusted. It is possible that my children will never graduate college and may live with me for the remainder of their natural lives. It is possible that my church will never be any fun to attend. Those two pastors there are not like the pastors that were there before. It is possible that there, anybody who is not you, mistake, is so damaging, so great, that they will never be able to live out from underneath it. That mistake will define them forever. It is possible that everyone in American politics is either corrupt, crazy, or stupid. America is going straight to the bad place in a handbasket. It is possible that the United Methodist Church will never be whole again, will always be a broken system. It is possible that what is broken will never be mended. What has been lost can never be found. What was once good can never be good again. Perhaps you can see, if you reflect long enough, how fear has molded some of your hopes in your life. Fear shapes our outlook of possibilities in a very particular way. Fear desires certainty. Certainty breeds a certain level of of stagnation in our life, and stagnation gives way to despair, and despair chokes off eternity. Any possibility for future good, all is lost. He or she will never change. I, I can never change. Life is just an endless cycle of disappointment and failure and pain. But most of the children I know, Chesterton, Doug, Jesus, they try to point us in a different direction. Truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So what is it about the childlike spirit that gives way to this reflexive hope? As Chesterton says, this eternal appetite of infancy. Well, have you ever noticed how easy it is for a child to give and receive affection? Have you ever listened to a child recount a story of when someone they knew and loved was hurt? I've been in a room once where there was one child crying, and another child, seeing that child cry, basically went and started crying with the child, because they were sad also, and then another child came, saw them crying, and in solidarity began crying, and like wildfire, all the children start crying. This isn't the most pleasant thing to experience, but it is beautiful how easily children convey and and show empathy to others. And how easy is it for children to play with all different types of people? If you're a parent, you know it's really, really easy. Playdates and playmates are never hard to come by, the younger a child is. They will play with and appreciate just about anybody. At the neighborhood uh, playground the other day, my children made fast friends with all the kids that were there. And not only with the kids, they started talking to the adults. And I was just watching with pleasure. But then the adults of the other children took the cue from my kids and their kids, and then they began to try to talk to me, and then that's when everything became uncomfortable to me. (laughs) But I only say this to point out the essence of what transpires so effortlessly with children. A raw affirmation of a person or thing's existence. As the German philosopher Piper reminds us, love is a way, is a way of turning to the other and saying it is good that you exist. How wonderful you are. It is good that you are in this world. And in essence, genuine hope can only spring from this act, from this way. And it is patient. It is kind. It is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoings, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things hopes all things. It is in the acts of love that a loving person may hope all things. Now, the divisive gulfs of our existence, and they are numerous, are never too great. The chasms, the pieces of our brokenness are never too shattered. Shattered. The clouds of our shame are never too thick. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. And love never ends. And Christ has promised us that love, that He will be with us even unto the end of the world. So, in and through the works of love, we enter into this reflexive hope. It's how we can keep our childlike spirits. It is with loving eyes that we may begin to see the beauty in each and every daisy. It is with a loving gaze that we may behold each sunrise and each sunset as a gift from God, as a good gift from God. And it is with loving hearts that our spirits will cry, Father, do it again. Do it again. And with a loving hope that we may begin to see that it is indeed not by automatic necessity that you and everyone around you here exist on this earth, but that God made each of you separately, especially. And God has never grown tired of making us. So too should we hope for one another, ourselves in the same loving way. So we're turning a chapter here at Bee Creek. We're coming out of a time where I, I got to tell you, I, 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 was, I was allowing fear to mold a lot of my hopes and possibility for what, lay, what lied ahead. And so one of the things that we're doing a little bit differently as we begin to open up, is we are starting a particular type of small group. I call them the transformation type group. And it's interesting to me that it aligns so closely with I think what I'm trying to say here in that this group specifically meets and asks the same question over and over and over again. How is your life with God? How are you doing? That's the purpose of the group, to meet together And to ask that question for one other week after week, there's no studying, there's no preparation. Just show up. And I want to invite you into that space. These are groups that we're going to start slowly. And if this is something, an element that you feel that you have been missing on your faith journey, as I know, I think we all have to have this element in our faith journey in order to grow and to be able to recognize God's movement around us. And I want to invite you into that space contact me. Contact the office. We're going to be starting these groups soon. Um, And I would say amen, but that's not, this is the end of the sermon. But uh, that's really what I have for us today to follow through with some of the things we are talking about so that we can begin to hope all things together. Amen.